Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is rated TV MALSV. It contains strong language, sexual situations, violence, and nudity. It is intended only for mature audiences. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Scout. Hi, babe. How are you? I'm good. You know, I wonder who wrote our intro song that's on the Zoom recorder. Like, I wonder who the actual composer I don't know, is of but that we need jingle. to thank those people. We really, we really do. do. <laughs> yeah. Yes, for the nightmares that I have from hearing this shit in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? How's everything? How's um, everything getting ready is- for Christmas and all of that stuff? Fine, good. We're going on a road trip this weekend. Mm. Um, to uh, well, it'll be when while this episode plays, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we're we're going to Colorado. The boys are going to try snowboarding. Which is oh, going to be man. great. I'll look for a house for you while I'm there. Yes, please. Time, I was going to say, can course. you look for property for me to open up my wedding venue? Because people yes. get paid fucking bank for weddings. Do, you don't want to deal with crazy brides. Oh, Actually, you don't want to deal with crazy brides' families. But the thing involved. is, the venue holders don't have to deal with the brides. They just go, right. here's my venue. You need to have a coordinator. And there you go. They, it, they just... You know, they do they like that. They own yeah, the property. They, just, they own the property. That's it. You don't have to do we anything should do with it. it. I'm telling you, Scout. No, we're we need doing to it. Opened up a horror themed wedding venue. Yes. Yeah, speaking That's of horror, all theme, like horror icons. Yeah. I, speaking of horror theme, I think I think our guest today would really, really love to, to be a part of that sort of thing. Um, so I'm I'm really excited. We're just gonna get right into it. So I. Where are you right now? Louisville. <laughs> Where are you always are? Louisville. I'm just gonna buy a house here. That that's that's what that's what's gonna happen. Um, this this fucking amazing talented man, producer, director, writer. Um, also, he is very very known for his uh, journalism writing in the horror community. Um, Sam Irvin. Yeah. <gasps> just Welcome happened to, our to show. be in here. What? <laughs> Oh my goodness. How did you get in my room? I don't know. I was just <laughs> passing by and I heard someone say my name and I was just like, what? Magic. Oh, so I, okay. So, so if you guys don't know, I ha- I'm doing a movie right now in Louisville. We're doing a rom-com and Sam is directing me and he just directed me in this movie that we did. What was it? Two weeks ago? Like two weeks ago. Yeah. We're doing two movies in a row and we didn't know we were going to do two movies in a row, but uh-uh. we fell madly in love. And Aww. we're going to dump her fiance, <laughs> and we're going to be the ones getting married in 2024. So this will totally know. work, Scout. It's going to totally work. I, I mean, so. just because I'm gay does you know just forget that. But so is she. Yeah. It doesn't seem to matter. So you know whatever. Nope. <laughs> that was that bye. Was an, sorry. Same that thing. was another another reason why I feel like we had such a connection because I am bisexual and he's gay. So it was like, oh, we. And, we there's just another connection. There is. And I used to be Have married to a woman before I met Damn. my husband, who I've been with for 40 years. Oh, my but- God. Can you wow. please tell that story? I oh, know I was okay. going to say that for the end, but, like, can you please Okay, really quick. Yes. Okay, so. so fast. Um, no, not really quick. I want to hear all about it. Okay, so I met my wife in college, college sweethearts. I grew up in the South, in Asheville, North Carolina. Back in the 60s and 70s, when, yeah, I'm that old, when being gay was just not accepted. And I was brainwashed into thinking I couldn't be a success in life. I couldn't have friends. I couldn't have family. Nothing if I were gay. I knew I was always attracted to men, and I acted on it. 
But I also um, was sort of brainwashed into thinking, well, maybe I'm bisexual because I actually, you know, was enjoying sex with women and that all worked fine. So I just thought, okay, I'll just go down that route and be on the down low with with the boys. So um, met this girl in college. We genuinely fell in love and uh, got married. And then after we graduated, we moved to New York City, where there were a lot, no, mm. huge burgeoning gay community, lots of role models, lots of education and learning that yes, you can be a success in life if you're gay. And so eventually, um, I met, I met, um, I, well, I went to a club. She was out of town uh, <laughs> on business. Wife and, was out of town, and yeah, I went to a club. I went to a club on Christopher Street, which was Boys Town way back then. Yes, of course. And went to a, um, a little dance club called the Cock Ring. <laughs> was it really called the Cock it was Ring? Called the Cock Ring. Oh my god, I love which it. Which sounds way raunchier than it actually was, because it really was just a little dance bar. Um, but at any rate, I saw him standing across the dance floor up against a pillar, and it was one of those slow motion, love at first sight what kind of moments. What was he wearing? Moments. Do you remember what he was wearing? He was wearing jeans. I totally do. Yeah. He was wearing blue jeans and a black leather jacket. Ooh. And he was hot. <laughs> and, and I um, decided... Right then and there, that that was the man for me. And I actually have a picture in my book of him. Oh, you do? This was about the time we met. Hottie McHotterson. Damn, look at that. Look at that. Oh, my God. Yes. So that's pretty much what he looked like on that night. Anyway, people who are just listening won't be able to see that, but you will if you buy my book. Um, (laughs) But at any rate... um, so we spent the weekend together until she came back into town. We were on the down low for a few weeks till she found out. And then we divorced. After the dust settled, we stayed really good friends. But she wanted to meet him. And he happens to be a hairdresser. So the three of us went to dinner. They totally hit it off. And she started going to him to get her hair done the rest of the years we lived in New York. And we're still friends to this day. We live on opposite coasts, so we don't see her very often. But she remarried, had two boys. Um, they're they're grown up now. One of them fell in love with this film uh, called Magic Island that he keeps he's watched a thousand times on the Disney Channel. And my wife, my ex-wife watched it with him one day and saw my credit come up that I was the director. <laughs> And she called me up. She said, oh, my God, my son is in love with this film. I had no idea you directed it. You wouldn't happen to be the gold wizard face on the wall in bas relief that comes to life at the end of the movie and says, who dares to enter the tomb of, you know, whatever. And I said, yep, that's me. And she said, well, I've been meaning to tell my son that I used to be married. Married to you. And now I'm going to tell him I was married to the gold wizard in Magic (laughs) Island. Oh my god! Basically, I mean that's kind of true, right? Yeah, kind of true. <laughs> do you? So, did she ever tell you that she kind of knew? Did she ever like? Did, did you guys ever have that? Well, talk? Did she you know, kind of my know? favorite, my favorite music artist. The whole time we were together, and and many years after, was Diana Ross. I mean, if that wasn't a hint, <laughs> come on. How did <laughs> was, she find? How did she find out when? Okay, about well, this is a little. I want to hear the juice. Yeah, the juice. Okay, so. God, I've never told this story publicly. But no, it's nothing to it, really. But her assistant saw Gary and I on a subway. We weren't holding hands. We weren't doing anything demonstrative. But she picked up on something. And she went back to the office and told my wife that she saw me with this guy on the subway. And I don't know exactly what she said, but apparently we were giving off some kind of vibe. And uh, so my wife came home that night and asked me, who that was, I'd actually got gone to him to get my hair cut a couple times in the weeks that we were kind of seeing each other on the down low. And um, so I said, oh, that's the guy that has been cutting my hair. And she goes, well, what were you doing with him in the subway? And I was like, we just ran into each other. And then she just looked at me and said, are you gay? And I said, yeah. yeah. And that was How it. was that for you? Was that such a relief? Uh, the you know everyone talks about coming out being a relief and a huge weight off their shoulders. It's that times a billion. I mean, it it's, was it's horrifying too, right? It was horrifying and you know just emotional. I mean, it, you know, broke down in tears. Just everything. You know, it was just a lifetime of acting, a lifetime of playing a character. 
finally able to just finally admit the truth. And at that point, it was the floodgates opened up. I wanted to, I needed with all my heart and soul to tell, to get it off my chest with everybody. I was like, I've got to call my, I've got to have to call my parents right this second. And I did. And she didn't want me to. She wanted to have an open marriage. She, you know, she was she mm-hmm. was struggling to keep things together. And I was like, I just was that because she loved you or because it yeah, was no, just... we loved each other, and we still do. Yeah, yeah, we still do. And do you think um, you could have been married to her and and just been with a woman, or would that have been an issue? I would at never some have point? been able to be just with a woman, and I wasn't yeah. the whole time we were together. Um, to be very blunt and honest about it. Um, yeah. So no, that wouldn't have worked, but. Um, I mean, if we had stayed in the South and not moved to New York, we probably would have stayed together much longer. And who knows what would have happened. Have you desired sexually a woman since you've been married to a man? People ask me that. I do think there's a teeny bit of bisexuality on the spectrum. But mm-hmm. um, I haven't acted on it in 40 years, <laughs> if that gives you a clue. Um, uh, but I do have fantasies about it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Has your and husband I, and been I have with dreams. women before? Oh, my oh. husband was married to a woman before me. I didn't know that. Yes. Wow. He, had, he had been apart for a while and had a couple of boyfriends. He's 10 years older than I am. So, mm-hmm. And I met him when I was 25. And so he was a great mentor to me in terms of all of that, having been married to a woman, oh, yeah. coming out. Um, you know, the whole thing was just, you know, he was my daddy and my boyfriend and my lover and everything. Mm. It was He filled so many roles in my life. And, um, Savior, sounds like. Yeah completely and um so yeah it was great and and we're just soulmates and we're very um you know we're we're very independent we have an open relationship we're you know we're just it's it's very relaxed you know people say you have to work at relationships not with us it's like so easy and peasy and we're very trusting that whatever we're doing is you know we're not out looking for love we're just you know having fun and it's like it's just very relaxed and natural so for us it's it works it works great you're living your best life yeah <laughs> literally literally that is like sam's like logo <laughs> like living my best life yeah I-, I swear danielle you need to work with him as a director i have never walked on a set where the energy that he has <laughs> is so infectious that everybody like wants to come to work. Everybody loves him. Everybody's so happy to work. You know, crew members, they come and they're oh, like yeah. in fucking bad moods or whatever. Everyone's like, hey, Sam, what are we doing, Sam? Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, the director sets the tone for the whole show. Well, oh, the, my feeling is, tone. you know, we grew up wanting to be in the movies and showbiz and all this stuff. And if we can't have a good time doing or yeah. we're living our dream, people, come on, yeah. let's have fun. So, yeah, I mean, I do fashion days i have at least two on every shoot where we you know and i'm i'm known for my camouflage my nickname is captain samouflage so one fashion day always has to be yeah one one day has to be camouflage but other days might be leopard or or pajamas or whatever we're doing just an open costume day for the last day of the shoot on this one but there'll be a lot of christmas sweaters since it's that season i think i have Um, never done a christmas movie Ever. Oh my God! I've directed I've actually, ten of them. I've never done a TV movie. I haven't done a TV movie since I was fifteen years old. Wow! Wow! Well, yes. I'm kind so of if the... you're casting for a Scout Sister <laughs> in the next one, um, I'm totally available. Nice. <laughs> oh, oh here's God, a here, do one. Uh, all right. Here's a quick story. Um, I one the first Christmas movie I ever did was called Too Cool for Christmas, and an alternate version called A Very Cool Christmas. It was about 2004, and it starred George Hamilton as Santa Claus. Yes! (laughs) And Donna Mills as Mrs. Claus. Oh, I love Donna Mills. So there were two versions. There was a gay version and a straight version. Wow. The straight version this, was this. sold for lifetime to Lifetime, and the gay version was being made for Here TV, which was a gay premium yeah. network. So in... in the straight version, it's it's about this 18-year-old girl who meets the mall Santa and decides that he needs to go on a diet, needs to trim that old-fashioned beard, wear a business suit, and get a tan, <laughs> and come out looking like George Hamilton because that's who was playing him. And um, But 
she gets lectured by the mall head of mall security that she's spending too much time at the mall. So she, so the, the head of security comes to the house to lecture the parents. And in one version, her parents are a mom and a dad. But in the gay version, she has two dads. So we had we had one constant dad, and then we switched out the mother with the with the other husband, and we would shoot all the domestic scenes throughout the film with you know doing one take with the mom and one take with the alternate husband. What, what did the actors think wow. when when you told them, "Hey, your role is only going to be on this channel," yeah, and then we're going to recast they, you and do, like, yeah, that's they were odd. all. It was very odd, and it was there was and I did a couple of films like this. I did a, a asteroid movie too that that had uh, a similar type situation. Yeah, the actors are very confused by it. But um, like the producers are saying, okay, you're gay, so you rewrite the dialogue for the for the fathers, and I'm like, no, it should be exactly the same. Yeah, and so I left it all the same. So, except I hadn't planned on one thing or, or anticipated one thing. When the mall head of mall security comes there to lecture the parents, he's like, Mister and Mrs. Smith, your daughter is spending too much time at the mall. Okay, take out the mom. Okay, put in the other dad, and action. Mr. and M- 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 Mr. Smith, your daughter. And so he, we hadn't planned on how he was going to address the yeah. two dads. And it was so funny and so natural that we left it in the film. I mean, luckily, everyone kept a straight face when we were shooting and didn't ruin yeah. the take. Everybody cracked up when it was over and like, oh, you'll Perfect. never use that. And I'm like, I'm totally using that. It was so real. That's so weird that they thought, you know, the writing needed to be different. Yeah. Because it was... To gay, like gay men, yeah. Like what? What do they think was? It's well, it's just baffling. Uh, to me. You know, studios it's a, it's, are stupid. Like it's come like on. two. You know, but it's also two thousand four. We're still, you know, things were still pretty much in the dark ages then. And I mean, the heads of the head of the studio is gay, and you know, but you just thought maybe you should camp it up a little or make some Madonna jokes or you know whatever. I don't right. know, but yeah. Um, no, I wanted to. I wanted it to purposely be exactly the same because that's what parenting is. It's not, right. you know, it's it's not based on any any of this external stuff. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have a desire to have kids? Um, for a, mi- a minute, but my wife and I were very young and very career driven and and very poor, and it just wasn't in the cards. So she took the pill, and we made sure that didn't happen. And you know, maybe if we'd stayed together, you know, we would have gotten around to that. But no. And then when I was with when I got with my husband, that was 1982. I mean, mm-hmm. in that era. You know, guys yeah. just weren't adopting or doing surrogates or any of that, yeah. at least not not in a big way. And so it didn't really even cross my mind to be blunt. Uh, I, I mean, I look back on it now. I mean, I certainly couldn't do it at my age. But, you know, you have those moments of like, gosh, what would it be like if I had if I'd had kids? But yeah. We do have kids. We no, have fur babies. Say. We have fur babies. And always the cutest little been, babies. Yes. Do you think it's easier to be to be out and be gay now than it was in the era that you were in? Or do you think you, you got to experience it in a different way than these kids have to deal with it now? Oh, it's so much easier now. Um, and we, I mean, we do live in these bubbles of, you know, L.A., New York, San Francisco and all of that. Mm. And so we do get a skewed view of what it is like. But it's still way, 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 way better. I mean, gosh, here in Louisville, Kentucky, you know, which is a oh, pretty, yeah. pretty serious red state, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to drag shows yeah, at the bar, and you know, there's a big <laughs> yeah. burgeoning gay community, For and the sure. and the drag shows are populated with the audience is mostly straight women. women. Who yeah. are coming there for their, you know, their engagement parties and stuff. Yeah. So I mean, it's. It's a, it's, I mean, it's just so different than when I was, while I was growing up and when I was, you know, trying to come out, it was so, so, so much more repressed and different, even in the bigger cities. I mean, you just couldn't, you wouldn't have seen anything like that. It was very segregated. Any drag show I ever went to in New York through the late seventies, through the eighties into the nineties, there would not have been a a, a woman in there. I mean, Mm -hmm. if it had been, it would have been a lesbian it would there wouldn't have been a straight woman that had would have dared to walk in that door right, right even if her bestie you know gay friend tried to drag her in yeah she wouldn't have had the courage to go in and if she'd gone in there would have been about a sea of of eyes looking over mm. like what the fuck is this i mean it was yeah. just so di- it's so different yeah. now 
so different. I was going to a club when I was, before I was allowed to get in. I mean, I was living in LA as a kid actor, you know, and there was this club that was on Highland in Santa Monica. I cannot remember the name of it, but I was, I wasn't driving yet. So I was like 15, 16. And every Thursday, no, Okay. this is a lot. This is like, I mean, I was 15, so this is the early nineties. And every Thursday at midnight, you RuPaul would do a drag show. Wow. And it was a full, and it was like the most amazing, I mean, you know, total 90s club, sweaty, mixed oh, by, cool. straight, yeah. like just, just everything. And this, I mean, that was my experience into like clubbing in Los Angeles. So after wow. that, nothing really compared, you know, then to go to like the Roxbury or Bar One or, you know, all the other clubs that were just so yucky, Hollywood, different. I mean, it was such a different world. I'm so glad we grew up in the time we grew up in. You were very so lucky. We talk, Scout and I talk about that all the time. How <laughs> awful it would be now to be, to be, you know, out and about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Sam, I want to talk about your book. Can oh, Can you good. tell us all about your book before we get into the questions from the fans? <laughs> Tell yeah. us about yeah, this. That, the, what? I have a new book? Oh, really? <laughs> really? Was. Are you sure? It's called <laughs> I Was a Teenage Monster Hunter How I Met Vincent Price, Christopher Lee, P- Peter Cushing, and more. And it's, it's this incredible 350 page book <laughs> with 600 photographs. <gasps> and it's part memoir of my crazy monster kid childhood as a, as a um, closeted gay monster movie fan. And as a teenager, I started a fanzine on horror films called Bizarre. And I bamboozled my parents as a graduation, high school graduation present to send me to London so that I could interview all the horror film royalty. Oh, I love it. Including Vincent Price, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and everybody. I did 35 interviews over the course of two summers, and I published them in my fanzine in 1974 and 1975. And this this was when all these guys were in the height of their career. I mean, you know, I interviewed Peter Cushing six months before he did Star Wars. You know, it's like just crazy stuff. And um, and so the book collects those great time capsule interviews, all 35 of them. But it also talks I talk about all the crazy ways in which I bamboozled each one of these interviews and just really amazing stories that are many times even more interesting than the interviews themselves. Like when I interviewed Christopher Lee, he invited me to Pine. I'd, I'd already written to him a few times as a fan. He, we had conducted an interview over, you know, a questionnaire through the mail. And so he knew me. And I, so when I knew I was coming to London, I immediately wrote him and told him I'm coming. And he said, great, I'll take you to lunch. So I get there and he goes, well, I'm working. Why don't you come to lunch at Pinewood Studios? So I go to Pinewood Studios and we have lunch and I interview him again in person. And then he just happens to drop into the conversation that he's working on a film called The Man with the Golden Gun, the James Bond film in which he is playing the main villain, The Man with the Golden <laughs> oh my Gun. God. And in walks Roger Moore and Britt Eklund and Maude Adams and the director Guy Hamilton and Hervé Villachez. And I'm like this, you know, eyeballs <laughs> popping out of my head. And he and after we finished, he goes, well, why don't you just come back and watch the shooting for the rest of the day? Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. It was insane. So, I, you know, I'm and Britt Eklund took our picture together. We, there's a picture of us in the book that's taken by Britt Eklund. Um, it's just nuts. And so at the end of the day... Um, he asked, do you want to ride back in the studio Rolls-Royce limo to London? I'm sharing ride with Hervé Villachez. And I said, sure. So I get in the back in one of those fold-down trundle seats look, facing the back seat. And on the back seat yeah. is Christopher Lee, who's like 6'6", six, six, and Hervé Villachez, who's about 2'3". And, <laughs> um, and Hervé is like taking swigs out of a bottle of Jack Daniels and his 10 sheets to the wind already. And oh, starts God. to regale us with stories about all of the prostitutes he's hired since he got to London. And, <laughs> and Christopher Lee, who's very, you know, is very sort of straight-laced, sort of very, very serious actor and, you know, played Count Dracula. And, you know, I'm, I know him as Dracula and, and just always very straight. Like, he starts to giggle and starts to laugh. And when Hervé just keeps using the word pussy, but he has this very thick... Lisp, so it comes out puffy Puffy. (laughs) every time, and he's littering every sentence with puffy. And every time he says puffy, 
Christopher Lee loses it even more and is doubled over and just howling with laughter. I'm howling with laughter. I'm only like 18, you know, barely turned 18. And Christopher Lee is like getting all worried that he's, you know, corrupting this child. And and uh, he's saying, you know, Hervé, shut up. You've got a child in here. And But it just got worse and worse and worse. And by the time we dropped Christopher off at his house at Cadogan Square, he had sort of composed himself, but as we were driving away, I just looked out the back window and he is doubled over hanging on to the gate before because he's worried of going in to face his wife to tell him what in the world he's laughing at. <laughs> and it was it was just so charmed. And okay, you think that's enough that that would probably be enough for one day for a, a movie fan. No. I then go to the West End that evening to see Pygmalion. Starring Diana Rigg. Now, I was a huge fan of Diana Rigg because she played Emma Peel on the Avengers TV series. She was a Bond girl and on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is one of the best Bond movies ever made. And she's probably, in in my opinion, the the best Bond girl ever. But most importantly, she played Vincent Price's daughter in Theater of Blood. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God, I have to I have to meet her. I have to interview her for the magazine. And her agents weren't responding. And, you know, it was just so I thought, I'll just wait at the stage door after, try to get her autograph and then try to, you know, corner her for an interview. So I sit down in the theater and waiting for the curtain to rise. And I hear this very familiar laugh behind me. And I'm like, hmm. Pussy. Yeah. (laughs) And I turn around and it's freaking Vincent Price, (laughs) whom I have already stalked several times and met at like the stage door of his lecture tours and things like that, that he would do in the United States. And I turn around and before I can open my mouth, he goes, Sam, what are you doing here? And I Uh, couldn't remember. I couldn't believe you remember my name, much less remembered me. But then I told him. And, you know, okay, I, I mean, I was a super fan. I had written him and sent him my magazine. He knew all about it. But anyway, I told him that I wanted to meet Dieter Rigg. And he said, well, you're coming backstage with us. And, ha- and by the way, let me introduce you to my fiance, Coral Brown. Well, Coral Brown was one of the critics, was an actress who played one of the critics in Theater of Blood that they that Vincent and Dieter Rigg murdered. <laughs> I love that you know Oh, my God. And, So, yeah, they took me backstage and put her totally on the spot, and she had to agree to do the interview. All in one day. Yeah, one day. That's just one day that's covered in this book. As an 18-year-old. As an 18-year-old. It was nuts. You're like, I feel like I'm talking to the gay Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) Yeah. With your knowledge of movies, it's like, have you guys ever, you could be a fly on the wall with that fucking conversation. Actually, Quentin almost did a cameo in one of my early films, and, um, it and and we ended up uh, he he was busy on the day and we ended up having to get someone else so we got this unknown actor who was doing this we were shooting at CBS Radford Studios in in Studio City where they make a lot of TV shows mm-hmm. at that time yeah. they were making Roseanne and Seinfeld that's what and all this stuff she was on Roseanne there you go that's right so um, <laughs> so Hearts of Fire was shooting there yeah. and there was this supporting actor that we were like who are we going to get to play this role and our producer kind of knew him and we were in the commissary and so we go over and talk to him and he has lunch with us and he agrees to come do it and I'm like oh this is cool but I hadn't really watched Hearts of Fire so I didn't really know him from Adam and while we're shooting he's just one day a little cameo he's telling us about this little um, independent film that he's written and going to be directing and starring in and going off to make right after the we're shooting with him. It was just before the hiatus of his TV series. Uh, who is it? Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, Billy. I oh, love Billy. I love Billy. I did wow. Billy's son. Oh, my God. I have so many, so many funny stories oh, about Billy. He <laughs> was brilliant and so cool he's and so greatest. amazing. He's but when he's telling us about Earth. Sling Blade, we're like, yeah, that sounds mm. cool, Billy Bob. Good luck with that. Oh, man. Billy is fantastic. Did I tell you that Cody peed all over Billy? Oh, Oh, God. Like, pissed all over him, like my little dog. Oh, oh, it's your dog. My dog, yeah. Okay. <laughs> my ex. Okay, I'm glad you clarified that. No, no, I was I was staying at his I was staying at his house, and um, my boyfriend at the time, his son, we wanted to go get um, some cigarettes. It was back when I was smoking a pack a day, and so Billy was like, "Yeah, I'll watch your little puppy." And so we come back, 
he just has piss all oh over my him. Oh, my God. And he's like, I think it needed to go outside. Ooh. But I left Cody with um with my, you know, my ex-boyfriend. I would leave Cody with him when I would go film movies. And he would send me pictures of Billy. Like, oh, yeah, Billy just walks Cody. <laughs> I was oh. like, what is that? You're like mind blown. <laughs> yeah. Like, What's happening? You need to write a book, Scout, and put, the, and put these stories in there. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Cody has met so many fucking cool people <laughs> that only knew if he only knew <laughs> so okay so who is like your what's like your favorite interview that you've you've done your well, favorite 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 interview you have to choose one okay well it's i mean it's tough it's vincent price and i had a very special relationship that that just transcended the time i mean it was you know we met when i was very young probably 14 um, going to see, he was in Oliver in Atlanta, Georgia, playing Fagan, and my mom took me, and we met. That's the first time I met him. And then he would do lecture tours where he'd talk about. There was called it was called villains, um, villains throughout history or something. And so I met him many times, but he, um, you know, we just became really good friends. And he, I developed a, a film project that he was going to star in that ended up never getting off the ground. But we worked on, you know, on that for several years. And it developed into, um, it was, it was, it was kind of a unrequited love affair a little bit. Oh, okay. And, uh, and I talk about this in the book. Uh, it's the first time I've really, really decided to, to come and out and talk about it. And it, it was, you know, he, um, I, I adored him, but he was much, much, much older than I was. Yeah. And I had been, and I was a super fan of his. I mean, I saw Pit in the Pendulum when I was five and it changed my life. Mm. Uh, it made me become a horror fan. And so for me, it was this idol. It was Santa Claus. It was yeah. a, a grandfather figure mm -hmm. you know and it wasn't um i didn't have the uh the the lust attached attached to it he um you know and it was it was not when i was underage but when i was in my early 20s um there was a there was a time when i went to up to spend a weekend with him in westport connecticut where he was doing a one-man show of oscar wilde and there was little flirtations and things going on there that could have led to something if I had let it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was, it, was, um, it was interesting, but we kept in touch over the years right up until the time that he passed away. And the first feature film that I got off the ground as a director was called Guilty as Charged. And it was a it was about a madman played by Rod Steiger who kidnaps murderers, puts them on his own, murders who've gotten off, and he puts them on his own death row in a dungeon and oh, fries whoa. them in his own electric chair. It also had Heather Graham, Lauren Hutton, Zelda Rubenstein, the little woman from Poltergeist, Isaac Hayes, this incredible cast. And I had, of course, wanted Vincent Price to play the lead, but the producers were like, no, that's going to get a wise it as a horror film. And by the way, Vincent Price is getting pretty long in the tooth and hasn't been doing well. Um, health-wise and whatnot. And so, but, I mean, the whole time I was making the film, it was like an homage to a Vincent mm. Price type of movie. And when it was reviewed in the Los Angeles Times by Kevin Thomas, he he said that Rod Steiger reminds, reminds me of Vincent Price's performance in Theater of Blood. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, that was... That meant the freaking yeah. world. Yeah. I'm getting choked up just oh, thinking about it. So the next day, I get a call from Vincent Price, who is not well. And he congratulated me and said he was so proud and how, you know, we, had, you know, our... Um, Anyway, it was, and I said, Vincent, you know, it's playing at this Westwood Theater near where you live. Why don't I come and pick you up one afternoon and we'll go and see it? And he said, I'm just not, unfortunately, not well enough right now. Mm -hmm. um, he said, I would love to. And if I do feel better, I, I want to see it. But um, then he, 
gosh, do we have time? Yeah. Um, he wrote me a letter the next day and sent it to me, and I cherish this letter I'm so much. Cry. <laughs> um, there's an audio book of this that I read, and I um, I got verklempt just reading it in the audio book. Um, let me just see if I can find the actual typed out version of it. It's uh, uh bah, 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 bah. there's there's the actual letter, but the writing handwriting is hard to decipher. Let me just see if I can find where we typed it out. Um, okay. This was 1992. Dear Sam, congratulations. I was so tickled to read the Times Review. I hope it does great business and you do many more. My God, we do go back a long time into your youth and now into my old age. Thanks for wanting to take me to see the film, but I can't make dates ahead as I'm kind of crippled and incapacitated. But when I'm up to it, I'll get there. Again, congrats, and all my best ever, Vincent. It was so nice talking to you. I mean, and he yeah. he ended up passing away not long after that. And But that was the kind of relationship that we developed over the years. And um, it, was, it was really special. And in writing this book and writing that chapter about him, I realized how much we really did have this sort of unrequited you know bond yeah. mm-hmm. that was that was very special and when i directed several years later i directed the film elvira's haunted hills mm-hmm. which was a spoof of all the vincent price edgar Allan poe movies starting with pit and the pendulum which was every yeah. everything to me um cassandra peterson who's elvira she um, had me come up to her house to interview f- for directing um, the film. And she handed me the script and she said, this is a spoof of these Vincent Price movies. Are you familiar with them? And I go, Cassandra, Vincent Price's monologue from the climax of Pit and the Pendulum. Do you know where you are, Bartolome? You are about to enter hell. Hell, the Neverworld, the infernal region, the abode of the damned, the place of You're torment, hired. Gehenna, Naraka, the pit, and the pendulum, the razor edge of destiny, thus the condition of man, bound on an island from which he can never hope to escape, surrounded by the waiting pit of hell, which must destroy him finally. And yeah, she cocked her head, looked at me like I was nuts, and said, You're hired. That's like me what first meeting you. Great story. <laughs> I was like, I love you. amazing but she had become really good friends with him as well and so we dedicated the film to him with just absolute labor of love in our hearts because we we both for her the film that changed her life as a kid was house on haunted hill another vincent Mm -hmm. price film so we Mm -hmm. both have that in common and by the way um, Cassandra Elvira um, wrote the foreword to my book. Fantastic! Yeah, and, and she on in the audiobook she voices the the voices it. But look, we have this really cool cartoon <laughs> of her with the pendulum. Her boobs slice. have never looked better. She's about That's to slice amazing. me. She's about to slice me in half with the pendulum. <laughs> and yeah, anyway, what it's an amazing um, coffee table book that is. She's, I swear. She's, you know, she's been a pal for 30 years. And Have I you just, read her book? I haven't gotten a chance oh to read her book. Oh, my God. It's fantastic. I mean, I'm a little partial because she's my buddy, but it's the best showbiz memoir I have ever read. And get the audio version because she yeah, reads it she reads to it. you. Oh, that's it's cool. It's cool. so freaking amazing. That's and cool. she... Um, when I first met her, she was married to a guy, and during the making of, of Elvira's Haunted Hills, their marriage was falling apart. And right after that, she got together with a woman who she's been yeah. with for 22 years now, yeah. Terry, who is just absolutely amazing and sweet, and I just love them so much. And she, you know, Cassandra came out finally in her book which came out a year ago, uh, yeah. in October, a year ago, October, and went to number four on the New York Times bestseller oh, list. Good for Woo! her. Good for her. I know we should get her on the show. We need yeah, to get her on the show. Yeah, oh, my please. God. Hello. Yeah. 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 No, she's an amazing, amazing <laughs> well, person, but fits every everything in your wheelhouse yeah. <laughs> to, a, to a T. I do I know her. that a fan did ask if you would be doing any more movies with her. 
Well, we've tried. We um, we actually collaborated on a third Elvira film script, which we tried to get going for a long time. That didn't happen. She's been trying to get various versions of a third Elvira movie off the ground forever. Um, what she's... She eventually, the first Elvira film, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, was basically fish out of water in modern day America. Mm, yeah. And, and she sort of feels like maybe that's the formula that's a little more commercial and that's kind of the direction she wants to go. Our movie was basically dropping Elvira into an 1800s haunted house, mm. you know, haunted castle movie with a Vincent Price character, you know, lurking in the in, in the dungeon and torture devices and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was really putting her into a Vincent Price, Edgar Allan Poe movie. Mm -hmm. And I, that for me, that's what I want to see Elvira doing. Yeah, um, yes. I want to see her, I, I want to drop her into a, you know, a Frankenstein yes. film, yeah. a Dracula film. So a, cool. And, and all of those genres. And the one that we wrote together was kind of a, um, it, it, she was opening up a bed and breakfast in England and it's haunted and there's <laughs> all the guests are being bumped off like in a, you know, in a Agatha Christie, but there's vampires involved and, you know, it's just, it's all, you know, it's, it's that, but, um, but I think she, you know, came around to the, to the conclusion that she really wanted to be fish out of water in modern America. So what is her but, house like? <laughs> well, Inside, originally, like, is it? You know, I want to know. Is there? Is there gothic not, sort of erotic? Is it suburb? Or? Is it suburby? <laughs> is it just like straight suburby? It's, she's in a tutor, isn't she? Yeah, she's kind. It, when I first knew her, she was living in this very big house in the Hollywood Hills that had little tiny tweaks of goth, like the Cute. the iron gates out front. Yeah, the the black wrought iron had spider web curls Ooh. on it and stuff Ooh, that's cool. and there would be little just little things like a tchotchka of the of the ashtray with the devil you know sort of you know but all very tasteful and yeah. very sexy it's very sexy very tasteful there wasn't a lot of you know i mean in her upstairs playroom you know they had the elvira pinball machine and you know a few things like that but, oh i, I but, thought playroom i thought something else oh yeah sex oh yeah i was like what what, <laughs> what? Playroom? Um, scouts like sign me up <laughs> but, but when she uh when she she and her husband decided to finance elvira's haunted hills they mortgaged that house wow. this wow. don't ever do this when you're doing film because they didn't nope. get they didn't make their money nope. back don't and they ended up have, they ended up having to downsize, and they sold that house to Brad Pitt. <laughs> and cool. uh, but you know she's her homes are always beautiful and tasteful, and you know she's nothing like the character when right. she when you know her pr yeah. regularly. Um, right. And she's red hair. I'm I was ginger. You can't tell now, but I was a ginger growing up. And she's a ginger. We're both blue eyes. You know, we we feel like we right. were separated at birth. To oh, be honest, I love it. I love what that. What a blessed life you live. Seriously. <laughs> you know, you guys like, need to get this book. Everyone's you like guys need on to get the this book. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, like, this is the list. Patreon, if you That's... can see it. Like, this is, I mean, it's it's insane. The stories that Sam has, and just now that you can hear Sam, and, and you can, you know, Patreons, you can see him. Like, it's, he's just a genuine human being. He, like, he's so genuine. Like, and he's just, he's a love, he has love for horror. Like, I do. do. Oh my God. Huge, huge, and huge it, love. It, my favorite film tell. of all time is The Bride of Frankenstein. And that yeah. is a, has a huge sort of gay undercurrent to it. It was mm -hmm. directed by James Whale, who was gay. And by the way, I was one of the producers of Gods and Monsters, mm -hmm. the Oscar winning film with Sir Ian McKellen as James Whale. And there's a flashback scene of him directing Bride of Frankenstein. We got to recreate that laboratory set. Oh, cool. And I found the original laboratory equipment that was used in the original Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. And Mel Brooks had, had found it to use mm -hmm. in Young Frankenstein. I mean, it's talk about hair on the back of my neck standing up. Yeah, it's like, I, oh I, look, I look like the Bride of Frankenstein that day. And <laughs> it was incredible. But um, but but yeah, that Bride of Frankenstein. There's also the Doctor Pretorius character in that movie is pretty much the first 
gay, you know, obviously gay character in a mainstream Hollywood movie. I mean, mm-hmm. he is so gay, it's unbelievable. And he, he the, the, the nurse, I mean, the, the housekeeper even announces him. She comes in and says, there's a very queer gentleman here to see you. <laughs> and boy, is he ever. He comes in just like, you know, total flamer. And he's then like, you know, he wants to take... You know, Dr. Frankenstein away from his new bride to go do, you know, very, um, you know, dark experiments of all sorts of, you know, stuff. And, oh, it's he's it's it's crazy. But I love that film so much. It's I, I've seen it a million times and can't get enough Cathartic of it. Cathartic to get all those stories out of your brain finally. Yeah. Yes. And be able to leave them somewhere and like process no. them as you're writing it. No. <laughs> they, they haunt they, me forever. They will forever be in there. Okay, so, so we have a couple of fan questions before we get into these um, other questions that Danielle has. Yes. Worst actor, actress that you ever worked with? <gasps> Oof. Ooh, that's so hard. That's so hard to <laughs> talk they're all about. It's okay, I'm right because here. Because okay. mo- most of them are still alive. Oh, let's shit. See. Most, <laughs> one of them sitting right next to me. Um, oh, yeah, I know. Let's see. Um, okay, well, here's one that'll blow everybody's mind um, because she's just so revered. But I tell you, one of the most difficult people that I've ever, that I had ever worked with was Cicely Tyson, who passed oh. away a year or two ago, yeah. and was, um, yeah, was just really, really difficult for what makes everybody. An actor difficult, like I just, it's always different. But yeah. in this particular case, I mean, for instance, we I never we never get rehearsals on these little films yeah. ever. We can't afford it and you know, Screen Actors Guild, you're supposed to pay for rehearsals, all this kind of stuff. Well, the producer I did a film called Fat Rose and Squeaky and it was based on a play and the playwright got raised the money himself, produced this thing himself, and he felt like he had to have rehearsals because he came out of the theater world and just couldn't understand not rehearsing. And so he raised enough money to pay for three days of rehearsals. Wow. And so we shot it in um, Santa, uh, uh, um, Santa, um, Santa Cruz, I guess, and gathered all the actors at the hotel. You know, everybody knows they're getting paid for rehearsal. And we come into the conference room where we set everything up on the first day of rehearsal. And it was Cicely Tyson, you know, Oscar-nominated, Emmy-winning legend, her co-star was Louise Fletcher, who won the Oscar for Best Actress to play playing Nurse Ratchet in um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's yeah. Nest, a, another powerhouse actress. We also had Julie Brown and Leah Delaria, all these great people. And we sit down and I say, "Okay, guys, let's um, let's open your scripts." And she goes, uh, uh, "Excuse me, I'm not a guy." And I'm like, and I'm like, oh, here oh. we go. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that in any insulting way. I was just trying, you know, I was just saying it in a familiar way. And she said, we fought very long in the black community for this, that, and the other. And also as a woman, da, 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 da. and I was like, whoa, we're already pulling every card in the book out. So I just pulled out my gay card and I said, um, I grew up gay and I know what it's like to have, you know, to be discriminated against and I apologize profusely for any disrespect and I didn't mean anything by that so then we start um reading the script and everyone's giving full performance and when we come to Cicely who's playing a French woman who is supposed to have an accent she starts reading the part with no accent and starts just reading it like reading it out of the phone book without any feeling whatsoever and so, you know, we're all kind of on edge now about, you know, whether to say anything or not. And after a couple of scenes, I finally say, Miss um, Tyson, and she goes, oh, I can stop you right there. Um, I don't go by my name when I'm shooting. You have to call me by my character name. So I said, oh, okay, okay excuse me, Celine, are you going to um, rehearse with the accent and um, are we and she's oh I never rehearse and everybody just like stopped pin drop you know uh, it would have been nice, nice if you had us. like told yeah. us this yeah. beforehand and we wouldn't have paid yeah. for this yeah. and so it just kind of like after an hour just, Louise Fletcher got up and pulled me aside and said I, I hate to do this to you but this just isn't going to work and we had to cancel all the rehearsals. And 
and it just kind of went downhill from there. It was just, um, just incredibly disrespectful to her fellow performers and yes. disrespectful to the process. It was just all, it, it was just the weirdest, weirdest thing. And it never got how any was better. She once, uh, how was she when she was on set? When she was on camera, she turned it on and she delivered. And the you would never know it looking at the film. Um, but it was, you know, getting her to come to set, to be on time. She was constantly in her trailer on cell phones, phone calls to whoever. I don't know. We were always, everyone was always waiting and pacing and waiting and not happy about the waiting. And then she'd finally come, she'd turn it on and then, and then leave. And it was just like, wow, this is, this was crazy from just the get go. You know, it was mm -hmm. like, you know, I mean, if, if my comment about, Hey guys, let's open our scripts and did it. If that's what triggered all of this, then I oh, mean, God. really, she's yeah, not well. Yeah. I mean, it was just so, God, and you're so easy to work with. Like you're so, you are, you are so easy to work with. I've never met a director that is so easy. Like the Rob, like you were just well, so well, easy to work with. You. Well, you you're too, my dear. You're such a team player. You're like we. It's just playing. We're just playing. We're I know we're playing, fun. and 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 I do anything to not have drama. Who wants yeah. drama? You know, yeah. no way. You are so good no. at hiding that when there's drama going on. <laughs> I will not. I'm not. Straight I'm like, face. I'm like, like Sam. Scout loves you. Let me tell you, Scout loves you so much. There's probably there's probably nobody else that she would have gone back to Kentucky for this close from the other film except for you. True. Guaranteed. It's so true. We love each but other so much. So much. He's invited to my wedding. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, have you announced, have you told on here the date and stuff? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. But they know it's not until 2024. Okay, well, that's what I was going to say. Was it's like, like, I'm like thinking, when she asked me to her wedding, I'm thinking, oh, you know, like over the ho over the Christmas holidays or something. Sure. And I go, when is it? And she goes, uh, 2024. And I'm like, what? She's planning. She's planning. We don't even know if we're going to be on speaking terms by then, bitch. <laughs> this is me going, you better fucking love me forever. You better love me forever. <laughs> You're mine. Do you have a now. Christmas tree? What are you guys doing? You guys are wrapping right before Christmas. So, I've, oh, yeah. I, have a, I, bought a, a I bought a little tree from, oh, from Target. You didn't even notice God. my tree? I did not. I had to have some. Thing. That is so <laughs> peanuts, Charlie Brown. I can't yes. get over it. You have to show people. I almost, I almost, um, I almost look at that so tree table next to our calendar. <laughs> yes. Oh, you displayed our calendar. Our I calendar. Can't. Oh my God! When she got all the boxes of the calendars to <laughs> oh, sign. Yes. Jesus, we practically had I to get know. a luggage cart to bring those things up here. It was here. like it we was, did. Yeah, it was. It was like what's Tim? What's Tim? Tim Allen? Uh, Santa Claus. Do you yeah. did you watch that, Danielle? Yeah. You remember when he like gets turned into Santa Claus and then yeah. he he signs off some guys like, hey, where do you want me to put the packages? And he's like, oh yeah, just put them in the you know hall. And he signs <laughs> off and he that. turns the corner and it's Bags. like, Bleh. yeah. Oh my lord. <laughs> Mountains of stuff. All right, I do you know. have a question over there? Um, oh my god, we've been going for fifty-two minutes. I know. Yeah, Holy shit. I know. I know so it's I'm time gonna I do. I'm gonna do one question, and Let's then I want to read one one story um, because Great. we 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 sometimes do like um, when we don't have guests, we do like true crime stories that we like to talk about. We haven't yeah. done anything true crime in so long, so true. this is not this is actually a fan that wrote us about a creepy true crime true Ooh. story that happened to him. So I thought I would share it because I was like, yeah. oh my god, I don't know how to answer this. But first, here's a, here's a question about bisexuality. Okay. Um, hi there, love your movies and podcasts. Danielle loved you since Don't Tell Mom. Scout, my younger sis loved Sleepover. Okay, so here's the question. I'm 35 and I've known that I was attracted to men and women since the age of 11 or 12. I came out to myself as bisexual at age 14. It wasn't until I was 30 that I told a cousin and a close friend who supported me all the way. My question is, how do I come out to more family? I have a boyfriend and I love him, but I'd like to explore experiences with women. In college, I only kissed a girl. I've been with men and I enjoy it. I'm afraid of what people think. I'm not a lesbian and I am not straight. I know that I'm attracted to both sexes equally. Thank you. I love Tuesdays. Scout, your stories about being bi has really helped me feel more secure. Oh, yay. Nice. 
So I'll let either did, one of you uh, take. Now, did I miss the... Did she say in there somewhere whether she, whether her boyfriend knows about this? She didn't say. She said she's she's come out to close friends and her cousin. Okay. So I'm going to guess that her boyfriend probably know, does. Probably, right? Or yeah. does she's only, not. She's only kissed a girl in college, but she knows she's bi. Hmm. Hmm. I don't... F- it's going to constantly be inside of you if you don't, like... If you don't act on that sort of um, part of you, I feel mm-hmm. it's going to be like digging at you. I feel like oh, yeah. she needs to go like. Sounds like it's digging at her already. Yeah. Um, I think she needs to go um, explore that side of her a little bit more. Coming out, I don't know. There seems to be. What, what, what would you. What I mean, I guys? think any coming out, no matter what the proclivity is, is a, is a cathartic thing because you can't live your real life mm-hmm. until you're able to be honest with yourself and all of your friends and people around you. And if you lose family, if you lose friends because of just admitting who you are, then you don't need them. Right, right. You choose your friends. You can choose your own family. It's, you know, mm-hmm. you can't, I just don't think it's healthy. Certainly wasn't healthy for me to be living a life in, in a lie and not, and not coming to terms with it. And plus, you know, you have one life to live. I know. And it goes by yeah, so fast. It goes by so fast. So fast. I felt like when I came out at 25, we I'd already wasted <laughs> years and yeah. years. I just, you know, so... You need to, I, my my advice is that you really need to explore mm-hmm. your real self and not and don't give a fucking okay. hell yeah. what anybody thinks. This is right. your life, baby. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm curious. Right. I'm, I'm curious why she hasn't. Um, I, I'm I'm curious to see if she has told her her partner and what her partner feels about that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But I, I mean, I'm sure it's easier. I always feel like it's easier for a woman to be bisexual than for a man. I do. You, do you think? I mean, I, coming out to I mean, a partner. I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, I think that it's 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 a weird double standard. You know, yeah. I think if you, I mean, we'll look at it just from a man's standpoint. If a if a straight man, I'm sorry, if a gay man has sex with a woman one time, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, just experimenting, nothing. A straight man. Having sex with a guy one time, right, right, way more weight on that, 100%. way yeah. more raised eyebrows, way more like, yeah. Mm, mm, yeah, more I guess we know yeah. all about him now, right? Um, it's, it's not hot; it's hot when there's two women, yeah, yeah in in, yeah. in straight. Well, it's because of porn. Minds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's porn. By the way, just a side note: Alabama takes the prize for um, the, the most people watching porn is uh, in Alabama. It FYI. Is? Because there's nothing else to do. I'm just imagining every household in Alabama. Alabama just like <laughs> got porn on their screens. That's hilarious. Oh my god, I was blew my mind. I was oh like, not god. Los Angeles. Wow. Not LA. Wow. Not, not California. Okay. That's that's pretty amazing. Okay, here's my okay. So here's my my creepy okay. story. <clears throat> yes. This is this is crazy. Um, okay. Hi, Danielle and Scout. I love the podcast and how open you both are about sex and everything else. I've met you both years ago at horror cons, and I haven't been to one in a while, but I hope to soon. I am a 32-year-old single gay man and meet guys often on apps like Grindr. About five years ago, I received a letter in the mail with no return address, and my name spelled completely wrong. When I opened the envelope, there was a card that said, Thinking of You. After opening the card magazine clipping of men after opening the card magazine clipping of men's feet fell out the card said things like my feet would look great in a pair of loafers and other sexual things that they wanted to do with my feet they also mentioned my new car that i just bought and also said that i know where you work i will say hello i was obviously freaked out and i asked my close friends if they had done this as a prank i don't have any crazy exes or enemies the only thing that i could think of was that it could be someone that i'd met on grinder that it didn't work out and i had left which happens sometimes also the handwriting looks like it could be from an older man no one ever came to my work or my house and after a while i just started to laugh about it well it's been five years and i just received another card in the mail i knew what it was the second that i saw it in my mailbox Same handwriting, wrong spelling of my name. Same kind of letter talking explicitly about my feet. I'm not as freaked out as I was five years ago, but this is still very 
creepy. I would be more what freaked would you do out in this situation. Yeah. I don't really know what they're trying to get out of this. Are they trying to scare me? Sorry if this is too weird for the podcast, but I know that you've talked about foot fetishes and I thought that it would be a great creepy story. By the way, congratulations on your engagement, Scout. Um, yeah, I don't know what I would do. Um, wow. On that, no, no, no. He needs to figure out who that is. I would set up a camera near that mailbox. I wouldn't like... Yeah. This, I think someone's mailing it. Mailing it. Mailing He's it. getting it in the, in the mail. That's, That's really creepy. very creepy. That's it's very stalkery. Okay. Especially I five, five years, years later. That's really creepy. I wonder Man. if it's someone that lives in his neighborhood. You but know, I feel wear- like a lot of times they're like, they're, someone gets killed. It's someone that has been able to eye them for a little while. They may in passing, they've met at like, you know, a, a, dog, a supermarket or but why a would they wait town? five years? Yeah. Five years. You know, that's a big gap. I wonder... Did anything, did anybody come in your life, any sort of relationship or like resolve during those five years and then fell out again? Mm. Like anything, any sort of weird thing that happened in that time frame, you know? Like maybe it's their ex or something. I mean, something like that. There's no bad blood. There's no bad blood anywhere. It also doesn't sound like the. That's creepy. He doesn't mention whether there's a way from the card to get back in touch and respond yeah, to the, the guy. return address. Right. If there's a return address, he needs to go. So he's looking, I mean, obviously. So he, so this person is looking for a reaction if there's no way for them to actually contact But there's them. no way for a reaction. And yeah. if they if they right. truly are, have a foot fetish and want to get together, you would think that they would have a way in which If that they want a happen. reaction, it's going to be someone that he would have told this story to. Right. That's why he Just thought maybe it was a friend or, on or that, something. No. But that's you can't do that. <laughs> you that's can't. Creepy. That's too much. You what can't do that. People? I don't know what the fuck is going on with people. People, you know, are... we used to spend so much time looking for true crime stories, and I feel like even in the last year since we started the show, yeah. every time I open up my phone on Newsbreak, there's some fucking crazy story that I just yeah. can't believe is actually real. Dude, I'm yeah. still I'm still on this Idaho like um, murders. These college students, I'm like following that case pretty, pretty closely because I just am am baffled by how they don't have anyone. Yeah. They they know nothing. And those murders are so brutal. The the thing is, and I don't want to get into it, there was two girls that were sleeping on the first floor and they described the murders as horrifying, like gory. Yeah, And blood was coming out of the walls outside, dripping down the walls. But they didn't hear anything. I know. How is that possible? Come on. I don't care how intoxicated, how drunk you are. You have to hear something. And did you not see the recording that's that's going over TikTok of one of the girls screaming? I didn't see it. Oh, my God. She like... like Oh, God. I can't watch that shit on TikTok. It's like an insane, like cry wow so i'm like how did you not hear that but but they already cleared them the the they already cleared them those those people i i'm just i don't know maybe they were drugged maybe maybe i don't know i mean i don't know how you could you could i don't know how you're not here but they were saying that one of the girls they think that one of the girls was the target and the other ones just got in the way unfortunately i think she was she shared the bed with the girl, so unfortunately, that right. girl. But then I think the other, their other roommate, the guy, woke up because he heard something and went over, right. and then I think they killed those two. Wow! It's just insane. Scary. <sighs> so scary. Scary. Okay, so Sam, where can everybody find you? <laughs> you can find me. I'm I'm an old dude, so I'm on Facebook. Yeah. And you can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's it's Sam underscore Irvin underscore director on Instagram. You can get my book on Amazon yes. in hardback. I've got pa- it. Paperback or audio. It's on Audible so and iTunes. And um, and 100% of the profits from this book go to the Trevor Project, which is the great organization that supports LGBTQ youth. Perfect. I love it. And Amazing. go see our movies when they yes. come out. <laughs> and we wish we could tell you the names, but they always change the names. So there's no point. <laughs> They're just two rom-coms. If you see a rom-com with Scout, it's probably one of ours. <laughs> and excited. I want to do one. Yes. One day. Oh, yes. Yes. One day. Oh, you've got to work please. with Sam. You've got to work with please. Sam. I'm, I, I, I'm already, I'm, in, I'm introducing the two. <laughs> it's going to happen. I'll meet him at your happen. wedding. Yeah. Another marriage made in, in 2024. <laughs> yeah, 2024. 2024. 
well, I hope that everyone has a Merry Christmas. Yes. Thank you. Christmas, everybody. And enjoy your family or your family or whoever you're celebrating this time with or by yourself with your fur babies. Mm-hmm. That's Whatever right. Whatever makes you happy, live your best life and just be you, I guess. True. One life, guys. One life. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me, ladies. I mean, sorry. Thanks for having me, guys. Don't take that the wrong way. I am not a guy. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories, if you're brave enough. (laughs) 